After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. J.J. and I have got a little World Baseball Classic fever, if you remember our podcast from a couple years ago. We're, we're, Those were fun. We, we, we hope it's contagious, but we definitely, we ourselves have it. Yeah, I definitely have it, and uh, I think J.J.'s picking up a, I think you're, you're starting to look a little sick, J.J. Yeah, I was going to say, John's at 104. I'm, you know, I may have a little sniffle right now. I mean, I, 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 I it, I was reading some of your uh, preview stuff for it, and it's like, it's September 19th. I keep forgetting it's going to be so soon. I have an advanced case of WBC fever. We're going to talk about the World Baseball Classic qualifiers that are coming up, Arizona Fall League rosters. We're going to break some of those down. We've taken a lot of your questions. We've got a lot of questions at, on Twitter at Baseball America, close to 70,000 strong on the followers, JJ, now on Twitter for Baseball America. If you, uh, We encourage you, of course, at JJCoop36, at John Manuel BA. And uh, plenty more. We'll also talk some major leagues uh, if we squeeze all that in in this hour-long podcast. But, J.J., let's jump right into the World Baseball Classic qualifier rosters because uh, I think there are a couple things here to, to, just to get out of the way. There are WBC expands from 16 to 28 teams this year. And uh, the positive part of that is that it's not going to be 28 teams in spring training. They'll still play 16 teams in spring, in spring training. But what the expansion means is qualifiers here in the fall, two here in September, one in Jupiter, one in Regensburg, Ger- Germany. Then two in November, one will be in uh, Panama, Panama. I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it my uh, David Lee Roth impersonation. The other one will be in November in uh, in Taiwan. We'll talk about the two that are happening here in September. Decent amount of affiliated players, JJ, in these two tournaments, with especially the Canadian team, the, the big favorite. Right, and one thing I did want to jump in, I like the idea of 2018 because what we're doing now, is it's really a world baseball classic. It there's, is a world classic. I agree. Uh, I, admittedly, there's not any team already, if you look back at the previous two world ba- baseball classics, there's not a team that was left out that you could say, yeah, that team could have won it. Correct. No, but there were teams who could make an equivalent case, hey, why is this team in and we're not? And I think what we've seen a little bit in the international baseball in the last few years is definitely – more, I guess the only word you can use is parity. Um, so you had 2008 Olympics won by South Korea. You had 2009 World Cup United States. 2010 uh, and 2011 you have you've had tournaments won by Cuba. Uh, you've had the Dominican Republic winning the uh, World Cup qualifier in 2010. And last year, of course, you had Canada win the Pan Ams. The Netherlands win the World Cup. So you've had it's been there's been a lot better competition a lot less uh, dominance by the Cuba, Japan, the United States in international baseball. Um, so th- 
you do have you've broadened the base of countries that care, and that brings us to these rosters, JJ. Because is it good for international baseball that uh, these teams have all brought in a lot of, for lack of a better phrase, passport players? Guys like like Germany has Will Oman because he was born and Toby Garden hiring lots of other players who were born in Germany because they had military parents but were not raised in Germany and are not German in any sense except for the fact they were born in Germany. Uh, is that good for international baseball or is that make international baseball kind of a fraud? Where do you stand on that one? Can I say both? I you can say both. I, I think it is both. I mean, it is. They're they're bringing in ringers. It's like you know, hey, you Spain know, has the, one player whose hometown is listed as Spain. It, it Maybe for some reason I'm thinking of that old Cheers episode where they were having the softball games against uh, Gary's Tavern. Old Town Tavern. You know, old Town Tavern. Like all of a sudden you're having baseball players coming in ten bar and all that. Well, in, in this case, Germany. If you take away the ringers, Germany doesn't fill out a uh, representative team. Oh, I don't know. Germany would have a better team. Germany would have the third best team usually yes, in Europe still, without its ringers. Right. But it, it wouldn't have a legitimate shot, I don't think, of beating Canada right. if it were more than one game. The thing is, it's still a one-game championship. So in baseball, you really just need to have one decent pitcher uh, have a hot game. Uh, but, so, so, but, but yeah, point, their but chances my, are greatly enhanced by having a passport My, my point is, is that I do not think that there are – I think we have not reached the point yet where there are – Players who are getting left out because of this, who you look at and say, wow, that, that really is hurting them. It's hurting the development in Germany because these guys are getting left out. The best the best German players, the best right. true no, German players are still getting to play, and I think it actually is going to help up their game that there's going to be kind of this interleavening. And, again, a team like Germany is going to also have some legitimate non-ringers right. who are really good. Correct, and they do. They do have. I mean, Donald Lutz and Max Kepler are not Those readers. Are, they are of American parentage. They have some American heritage, but they are. But they are not. They're actual Germans. They were both actually raised. You know, Max Kepler was born and raised in Berlin. Donald Lutz born and raised. I, I in love Germany. Lutz on his Twitter feed. You know, he went to go to the Euro Cup. He wasn't allowed to play in it, but he still went there because he wanted to. You know, root on his team. Yeah, he's just there to watch, which I think is really awesome. Um, the German team is an interesting, but the Canadian team, and to me, I, I, the column I wrote, JJ, that we linked to. Is that Germany? Is that Canada? To me, is the model program. I think I even wrote in the fall that the Netherlands is kind of a model program, but when you really think about it, I, th- I think it's actually Canada because bad weather. <laughs> they don't have uh, colonies to call on, and there's no way you could argue baseball is the number one sport. Uh, and yet, Canada has a very strong international baseball program right now. Uh, it, it's it, they it's them. They're in the same pool in Germany with. It's Canada, Germany, Czech Republic, and Great Britain. Um, I, I would, I'm saying that Canada is the prohibitive favorite. Right. If Canada doesn't come out of that, I, I'll put it this way. Team Canada will be going home very disappointed, I think, because Canada is a team that's played well enough in, in some international events, as you mentioned. I mean, they have, they're coming off of one of the, the biggest win in international yeah. baseball that Canada's ever had. The first senior tournament they've ever won. The other teams, it would be a big step to get into the field of 16. For Canada, it would be a big disappointment to not get right. into the field of 16. The thing with Canada, it's, they're very, it's very rare, and I talked to Greg Hamilton the other day, and he did mention there was one tournament in the past where they've had an American player who had some Canadian parentage who's played shortstop for them. But usually they take Canadian players. Now, if they win this qualifier, 
Um, now they don't have James Paxton in this qualifier, but they win the qualifier with their basically their second level pitchers. Their pitching could get a lot more interesting for the really actual good. World Baseball Classic because yeah, there's Ryan Dempster, but they'll probably add James Paxton, the Mariners farmhand, and then the real the guy who. Sort of a passport guy, but not really. Is Jameson Tyon? He was born and raised in Canada. His parents are Canadian. He moved. That's not it was a either in, guy. He was either in middle school or in high school that he moved to Texas. If both and your he parents identif- are Canadian citizens, right. You're not a passport guy. He identifies himself as Canadian and American. So Jameson Tyon of the Pirates, the number two overall pick in 2010, Jameson Tyon is going to play for Canada in the World Baseball Classic if. They win this qualifier. He's not pitching in September. And, wait, is there a second if to that, too? Well, if the Pirates approve it, that's certainly. The, that's the big if. But, but i got to imagine, in spring training, I think Major League Baseball, my impression, J.J., is that Major League Baseball really, try, I, I don't know if you could say pressures or encourages these oh. players to play, especially if they're not in the union. Uh, <laughs> I think they really pressure you to play. Uh, I think they definitely strongly encourage, and if you happen to not play for a certain rather large market team that seems to have enough power to say uh, MLB. Ah, they made Jeter play a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, I, I think that, that part's going to be very interesting. So I'm kind of rooting for Canada to win this regional or qualifier. <laughs> it really isn't a regional, considering they were sent all the way to yeah. Europe, <laughs> as opposed to it really from well, a... They're part from, of the Big East now. Well, what they really should have done, JJ, is Germany should be the host with two other European teams and Israel. But instead, Israel was sent to South Florida and really has an easier draw. Canada really got a tougher draw. It's not a group of death, but no. it's a tougher draw because Germany is a consistent, strong finisher in Europe. And, and they have France, just like comparing France and Spain to Britain and the Czech Republic, the Czech Republic is the strongest of those four clubs. Historically, Czech Republic uses a lot of their own players. They're two uh, teenage Czech players who are affiliated players, there's also former Twins outfielder on this Czech Republic team, and they have two passport players, Alex Sogard, uh, former NC State and Oregon State reliever, and then my one of my all-time favorite players, Mike Cervenak. Love Mike Cervenak. He was number 10 prospect in the uh, uh, Alaska League back in 1998. I'm sure you didn't know that. I did not off the top of my head, no. <laughs> and has, uh, I, I believe, 13 big league at-bats, but a long-time minor league good hitter who will fortify the Czech lineup. But... Uh, you know, to me, it goes back to the passport question that you mentioned. Having Mike Cervenak on that team will help the younger affiliated or pr- potential affiliated Czech players you know, really see what a professional is about. Even if you're just around him for a week, what's the catcher's name on the Czech team? Cervenka? Yeah, he's, Martin Cervenka. I, I believe he's, he's in the Indians organization. Right. It will benefit Martin Cervenka just to watch Mike Cervenak take at bats in this tournament. Just to be around him and, and see what being a big a, a pro and being a big leaguer in terms of your preparation oh. and approach to the game is really all about. And, and for all these players who go back to play in either you know the Czech Republic or a number of these players who play, you know who play in Italy or right. the Dutch you know major league those kind the of things. the Bundesliga in Germany right those kind of things it does make for a big advantage because you've had to raise your game your game is raised by playing in this. I mean, that really does make a difference in that your game, you have now faced tougher competition in a international event. If you're a, you know, especially if you're a, a, a 19, 20-year-old going into this, and also it's, it's some exposure. Oh, absolutely. The, 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 I've already talked to a couple scouts who are going to be going to this, and especially if you're playing in Europe right now, scouts in Europe are all over 
uh, the, right now the European Championships are going on in the Netherlands, and then most of those teams, with most of the same players, like you said, Donald Lutz, not allowed to play in the Euro Championships, but can play in the qualifier. Uh, so most of those players and most of those scouts are going to go from the Netherlands and drive across Germany down to Regensburg in Bavaria. Um, you're talking about the Czech Republic team, named from the past for college baseball fans. Basically the guy who's kind of – I'm not sure – they don't list the managers and coaches for the Czech Republic team, but I'm pretty sure that on that team, like Andrew as the pitching Berg, coach – Andrew Berglund is the manager. Uh, there's one guy who's that. listed as manager, but Pat Ahern – uh, oh, former yeah. Pepperdine pitcher. The Oral Hershiser lookalike. He was. He was the. It was the ace of the '92 Pepperdine club. Uh, went 15 and two that year for their national championship team. 20 years later, he's been playing and basically running clinics and camps in Prague in the Czech Republic. So I assume that he will be with this team. I, I've, I've Facebook messaged him and haven't reached. Uh, haven't heard back from Pat. But uh, the Czech team, I, I, they're they're like a dark horse for me. Just in European baseball, if you're looking at European baseball and you're wondering. Where potential future professional players will come from? Czech Republic. There's, there, baseball has a foothold in the Czech Republic, just like it has a stronger foothold now in Germany and like it, in the Netherlands, especially. I think baseball's kind of a big deal now. It's certainly not the first or second sport there, but the success of the national team there, I think, is really breeding uh, more interest in the sport of baseball. And if you saw any of the pictures or reaction last year to when the Dutch won the World Cup, it was kind of a big deal. and We, we wrote about it, and uh, obviously it was a big deal in international baseball circles. But um, the British team, JJLs, I think it is noteworthy that they have Michael Roth, cover boy. I, I can't remember who the other – there are a couple other interesting players on that team, but mostly uh, the British team is Canadians and Americans who are playing for England. Can, if you're Canadian, it's like – if you're the team Canada, it's like, but wait a second, these are our guys. It's a, can, it's a Canadian – the manager of that team – Coaches at a Canadian college. The uh, Chris Reed is probably That's the, uh, the other name that's probably the most significant name on the uh, on the British team. The best break that Britain got was that Reed out of Stanford, 2011 first round pick of the Dodgers. He he struggled with blisters all year, so he pitched less than 100 innings for the Dodgers. So so they're he, more willing to let exactly. So I, I think that if he had pitched say more than 90 or 100 innings, remember this was a college reliever. So this year, getting stretched out as a starter, this is probably the career high in innings for him, even with the blister issues. I think if he hadn't had some injury issues and they missed some starts of the blisters, the Dodgers probably would have shut him down and said, thanks, but no thanks. You don't get to go play for England. So the fact that he had some injury issues during the year, again, talking to Michael Roth, he threw a ton of innings in the spring for South Carolina, and he's on a 65 pitch, and it's either four or five inning limit. Uh, he's not listed as a potential hitter, but the guy had 60 at bats in the Southeastern Conference. That's a higher level of competition than most of these British players. So you, you mean then Aaron Hornstage, who Hornestai. Uh, Hornestai, who played for Heidenheim? See, Aaron Hornestai, you picked the wrong guy. Aaron Hornestai is a Canadian who's formerly a Giants farm oh, okay. He He's played for Team Canada in the past. I always love those guys who are wearing like a different uniform than the other team they used to play for in past international competition. It, for me, if you play for one country, that's your country. That should be it. Exactly. I, I Jameson Tyone, you got to pick. But if you're going to take Team Canada, you're Team Canada. Uh, you know, I think he's pitched for USA Juniors yeah, in the see? past. That, so by my rule, Jameson Tyone would be messed up. Okay, He'd be in we trouble. have to move on to the other one because if not, we're going to have a one-hour WBC before we get to the. Uh, What's wrong with that? Part two, giant <laughs> podcast. Well, JJ, Team Israel. We have to talk about Team Israel now. Spain has. Mostly a passport team. Some surprising names. Enhel Beltre. I'm not sure if you saw that. that. Yeah, that was a. Enhel uh... Beltre, the probably the best prospect really, in terms of not, he's not the best pos- prospect. I would take Jock Peterson over him. I would take uh, uh, well, 
Ed Hell Beltre's in the next. I'd probably take Max Kepler. But Ed Hell Beltre used to be a top 100 guy. Uh, Makeup and not developing his power has sidetracked him to basically like a fourth outfielder type. But Ed Hell Beltre playing for Spain, that's interesting. That that makes the Spanish team uh, somewhat uh, interesting. Muy interesante. It is well done. But the, the Team Israel, what was your what was your take on Team Israel when you saw their roster? Looking at it, you, you, it I think you summed it up pretty well when you said, "Hey, this is a roster, especially considering that they have an easier path." It would not shock me to see you know them end up in the uh, in the round of 16. I think Team Team Israel is going to be. I think I think Major League Baseball put Team Israel in the easier bracket because they want <laughs> Team Israel to win this bracket. And then I think that Team Israel, led by Brad Osmus, the manager, did a good job of assembling a team that could win a World uh, World uh, Baseball uh, Classic qualifier. But there's this is a pretty thin pitching team on the mound. When your best affiliated, when your best pitchers in terms of starting pitching track record are guys like Eric Berger and uh, uh, Brett Lauren, Rule Five draftee last year had like a six ERA and Double A this year. It's not a lot of high level pitching talent, which is the, the case for most of this tournament. But if you look, just compare them to the other favorite, Canada. Canada has ex big leaguer Sean Hill, who's a full year and a half removed from Tommy John surgery, pitched last year in the World Cup for them and is way back from Tommy John and has big league experience, and then Andrew Albers, a good double-A pitcher, was their Pan Am Games gold medal winning pitcher last year. And the Canadian team, just comparing Israel to Canada, the Canadian staff is a lot better. But but uh, the, the Israeli team should hit. <laughs> this team should hit, besides just David, uh, you know, uh, Sean Green and uh, Gabe Kapler. But Jock Peterson is... Probably right. the best prospect on any of these rosters. It's either Jock Peterson or Max Kepler for me. Yeah, I would take uh, Jock Peterson. You know, for me, and then, but they, they, I, I like all their, I like all their first base DHs. The problem is some of these guys are gonna have to play third base or second base, and Josh Satin, I think, is reluctantly playing in this event. Uh, on Facebook, he indicated to me that he was hoping to be in the major leagues. Obviously, not playing for uh, Team Israel, but he's he's on this team. And Jack Martyr, Jack Martyr had a monster year. I think he hit 430 at, at High Desert this year. If it wasn't 430, it was like it was over 400. He had over 400 in his home games at High Desert. So. A little different environment in Jupiter, but this guy hit in the Pac-10 at Oregon. Uh, Nick Rickles kind of was a personal cheese ball of mine in the draft last year at Stetson. So I, I like Team Israel. I think you like Team South Africa, JJ. I'm interested in Team South Africa. I don't think they have much chance of winning this uh, tournament, but I'm very interested. I I, I'm, I, I think Gift Negepi is a guy worth watching. Um, yep. I, if to me, he's in the top five of these of prospects for all these qualifiers. You're, you're talking about a shortstop who's a legitimate shortstop. I mean, can make sensational plays, has the arm, has the range, has the hands to be a, a shortstop. And the, really the question for him as far as prospect status is, is okay, so how much how much swing and miss is there? You know, is he going to get better on the swing and miss? How much of that is that he's still behind because he signed out of South Africa? Right. And how much of it is it just he's got some swing and miss in his uh, in his swing and – if he just improves that, I, I you know, talk to I'm doing the FSL list, and and there's guys who think that he's an everyday player in the big leagues. There's other guys who think he's an extra guy. It's kind of he's on that fence. Well, events like this are going to help him for that. Absolutely. Because you you play in a in a pressure packed situation. To me, South Africa is the example of the ideal for international baseball. South Africa got to play in the Olympics in 2000. Uh, back then, they, they uh, Australia was. Uh, the host, so they were automatically in. 
but they were still a qualifier for Oceania right. slash so South Africa. Africa basically South Africa won the... that. And because of that, Paul Bell, who's actually on their roster, at that time he was 20 years old. Now he's 32. But Paul Bell played in the Olympics in 2000. And he's white South African, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure. But he's part of an older guard of players. And now you have players like Gifty Gepi. It's a very, this is a diverse team. There are white South Africans, there are uh, black South Africans on this team, like Gifty Gepi. But you have player, a lot of affiliated young players. To me, South of Africa is what you're hoping for because that old team, that 2000 team, had a lot of Americans who had done missionary work in South Africa. Right, there were that a lot kind of, of thing. Uh, you had Barry Armitage, who was the one you know, pitcher who was signed out of South Africa, pitch affiliated baseball. But this team is younger. Um, guys like Hein Robb of the Twins organization, uh, uh, Kieran Lovegrove is in the Indians organization. This is this is what the international baseball community wants a team to be like. You had the passport players from the past they who gave the they, sport they put a little the foundation, floor. exactly, and gave it a little exposure, and that led to younger players. Now you so. have club, yeah, because you have club teams in South Africa, things like that's how Negepi, you know, became a, right. a prospect. Is is he? Was, great story in sports. Yeah, it's a great story obviously. about how you know he he basically his mom worked for the club team, and so he grew up around the game. So we're expecting Canada and Israel to move on. Yeah, okay? I, think I think is the short version. We will actually have correspondence both in Jupiter and in Regensburg, and uh, a lot of those games are being streamed at WorldBaseballClassic.com. And the championship game we'll in Jupiter, watching. the championship game in Jupiter, JJ is on, on September MLB. 23rd on MLB Network. Um, I believe it's uh, Roger Bailey as the color analyst, and I've forgotten the name of the play-by-play host, I'm sorry. I think it's Noah Kozlov, actually, who tweeted at me the other day about it. So, obviously, we're excited. Uh, Arizona Fall League, I think more people are interested. More people are excited about that. More prospecty rosters, J.J. Yeah, just as add. Last year, we had, uh, you know, a kind of an Arizona Fall League roster to end all Arizona Fall League rosters. You had yeah. Mike Trout just and retire. Bryce Harper on the same team. Re- retire it. I mean, that you, you won't see better than that. Now, this year, does see, it feels like there are... Some ro- not all these W uh, not all these Arizona Fall League rosters are created equal. Which and not all are even you? fully settled yet. Right. Yeah. We are. We are. We are in the uh, preliminary roster stage. Where they have a, there are there's still some TBAs that you look at and go, okay, you know, if, well, let's see what's going to happen there. But I, I do think right now, um, Mesa is, is uh, to, to me the team that stands out. You've got Javier Baez. You've got John, uh, Jonathan Singleton. You've got Nick Castellanos. You've got Jock Peterson. Yaziel Puig, Matt Caesar, George Springer. That's that's going to be a, that'll, that'll be on most days. That's going to be a really fun lineup to watch. It's not organizations that you think of as prospecting. I mean, Cubs, Astros, Orioles, Dodgers, um, you know, Tigers. Some some thinned out farm systems here. But it seems like the best of what these organizations have to offer are are in Mesa. This, uh, this even Jared Cozart. I mean, on the on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which that's. Because that's the thing that you—that's the thing that's always tough about fall league—is is that the hitters at the fall league are always dramatically better than the pitchers. And again, Jared Cozart was a guy who had blister issues during the right. year. Right. The, the only reason you see a guy of Jared Cozart's caliber at the fall league generally is one of two possibilities. One is, and you don't see this as much anymore, but the guy who signed late. Right. And so this is his chance to get some innings this year. Right. And the second is is the guy who had his season interrupted for some reason because of injury or something else where, okay, this is our chance to get him the innings he didn't get during the season. Other than that, teams generally send guys who they say, you know what, this guy, we're making a decision about whether he's worthy of a 40-man spot or not, right. or we've got to send enough guys. And so this guy, if 
we run a little bit past his innings limit, if eh, we can be, you know, he'll yeah. he'll he'll be grateful for the opportunity to get to show himself in in a uh, high profile event. I gotta tell you, this team would be the one that I would want to see the most because I'm fascinated by Yasiel Puig. I mean, yeah, I the guy is just the the pictures and video of him. He's huge. He certainly looks the part. He's huge and he moves for his size, and it's it's you know 60 at bats, but early returns are positive. He hasn't. He didn't come in and stink. He came in and scalded the ball. This will be a big test for him. And, you know, the Dodgers put $42 million into this guy. So he'll be watched, I think, as closely as any player in the fall the league. Peoria Javelinas, though, are not that far behind, mainly because, okay, catcher, you got Tommy Joseph and Mike Zanino. Yep. A lot of days I'm guessing you're going to see a catcher and a DH of, uh, with those two because they're going to both play. They're going to both play, and they're probably the best two catchers in the fall league, I would say. Yeah, it looks like it off the top of my head. And, uh, you know, we kind of have Vin- Vinny Catracola, who had the huge 2011, pretty d- terrible 2012, uh, kind of his last chance to restore some prospect luster. Nick Franklin. Gregorius, Nick Franklin. That team's got a nice Billy Hamilton in the outfield, which will be – I mean, I, right. if you said what do I want to see, I probably want to see what Billy Hamilton looks like in the outfield. And the pitching staff on that, you've got you're talking Robbie Erlin, who missed time because of injury. Yep. Kyle Gibson, who missed time because of injury. Yep. And then you have Casey James Kelly, Paxton. who missed time because of injury. Yep. James Paxton. That's that's probably the best pitching staff. Carson Smith was a big-time guy at Texas State in college. Had some uh, shoulder issues before the draft. But uh, back here, Kevin Quackenbush among relievers had an outstanding year. This is a guy who could be in the 2013 big leagues. Michael Tonkin had a big year. Really had the best season of any pitcher in the Twins organization. So I agree with you. In terms of pitching staffs, that one's uh, about as good-looking a, a pitching staff as you're going to find. Phoenix Desert Dogs, on the other hand, not so much. Uh, still, though, I... It's not on the pitching staff. No, no, not the pitching staff. Um, let's see, best pitcher on that. I I think Jimmy Nelson is going to be a solid reliever. I've heard some good things about Brian Flynn, who also will probably be a power lefty reliever. Big donkey, yes. Um, yeah, as position player-wise, you look at it, Kristen Yelich is... Kristen Yelich is... To, I, I was talking to a scout about this, and I just kind of threw this out. As far as position players, he's one of the safer guys I can think of in the minors. Like, he there's is. just little doubt that right. he's going to be, you know, and that doesn't always work. I, I think back with the Marlins, uh, you know, if you go back, say, 10 years or so, Jeremy Hermida seemed right. like about as safe as a guy could be. And Jeremy Hermida did have a, a big league career. There was no doubt that he had a, po- right. a, a positive big league career, but he stalled. He didn't have a, he didn't stand out. He didn't but, become a star. But Yelich has a Advanced approach. Pretty similar, actually, uh, uh, profile with the difference that Yelich can run. Right, and um, that makes a big difference because you're talking about a guy. The only tool for him that's not above, you know, that's not above average, or at least average, at least average is the arm. Is the at least arm. an average power guy. I still never figured out. I never got a great explanation of why Jeremy Hermida, who had a pure swing, had played discipline, walked a lot in the minor leagues, all that, why he stopped hitting in the big leagues and just became a strikeout monster. I, I've still never gotten a proper explanation for that. But that team's lineup is interesting, and there is a 2012 draftee on that team. We missed one earlier, Paco Rodriguez, who's right. in the big leagues. But and a 2012 draftee is already, he's going, he's headed to the fall league, which will be a very long year for Paco. Wouldn't shock me if the Dodgers I think they might end up pulling him, him back. But, uh, but yeah, this this lineup looks uh, with Richie Schaefer. Uh, and then, uh, to me, JJ, the most fascinating guy uh, in the lineup there is Grant Green. What is what's going to happen to Grant Green? Where does he play? Jamal Weeks floundered this year in the big league, so if he can play second base, maybe he could claim that spot for Oakland. But he he hasn't played a lot of second base. He hasn't hit enough. He's played mostly outfield this year. I mean, what happens to this guy? This guy coming into the 2009 draft was supposed to be the guy in the college class. He still went 12th overall. See, I, again, what do you do I, with this the guy? Thing I've, the thing I've said with him 
for for a good while now. I'm not do I'm not really in the Grant Green camp. And one of the things with that is is that you you just keep hoping. The thing that's always supposed to be kind of the separator for him is the power, and it's there's some there. But the problem is is that it was really if you move him off the shortstop, then especially when you get to center, he's he, it's been the combination of you know the hit not being as good at the plate as was hoped, and really like okay, so where is his position? Right. And that's it been it to me. Right now, bat, if you're the bat, were good enough, they'd have found some spot for him. But right now, you, you look at it and say, is he? Is there a decent chance that he ends up being a utility guy? I, I think he's going to get. I think there's going to be at least a season or two out there where he gets 400 plus at bats because. Injuries, you know, the versatility will help him in that case. Right. But if you said, is he going to be a long-term regular, uh, I would, I have some skepticism. To me, if he's a long-term regular, it's going to have to come at second base, where, again, he's going to have to be like, but but I think the big disappointment is that the bat has not carried him, like everyone, not just the A's, right. but I think most clubs, not everyone, but most clubs, I think, thought the bat could carry Grant Green, and that's why he was a consensus, you know, high first-round pick, and it just... It just hasn't worked out. Uh, we're just kind of moving down on the uh, baseball say, American podcast. If you said, uh, okay, podcast. what team, if you're planning a trip, now we got some TBAs still here, but if you're planning a trip and you're saying, which team can I skip if I'm a prospect watcher? You're saying Salt River? Salt River, you know, if you don't catch a Salt River game, I think you'll be okay. Well, the issue, it still depends on which guys get sent there by the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays have so much pitching talent. So what if at the last minute they decide to send, okay, Syndergaard and Sanchez? They could. Well, they, but they probably can't because it's going to be low-A guys. I was going to say, the problem is, is that most everyone you're talking about for that who would be interesting is a low-A guy. The guys who – I mean, the reality is that they don't have that many guys at the upper levels because if you were at the upper levels in the Blue Jays system this year – And you came to the big leagues? You, bit, you pitched to the big leagues. And I've already fault. used one of their A-ball exceptions on Kevin Pillar. Right. Uh, I enjoy Kevin Pillar. Nice to – Nice uh, stealth prospect, but yeah, that team is not uh, that, that Salt River team. To me, it's, it's Anthony Rendon and a lot of guys who you know. I, I do like Chris Owings, but most of the rest of those players do not. Uh, you know, Jake Marisnik, Brian Goodwin. That's about it for guys who I think are future big league regulars. Maybe Pilar, maybe, maybe Trace Sanchez. Thompson, maybe Carlos Sanchez. I'm not as big a believer. I'm, in Carlos I'm more Sanchez of a Carlos Sanchez are. believer. I, I know, I know. Not a lot of in- impact uh, on Carlos Sanchez. Let me have text here, so we'll move oh, on past that. that. Yeah. And then uh, Scottsdale. One of the better prospects on the Scottsdale Scorpions, J.J., actually, is the manager, Carlos Mendoza, Venezuelan, bilingual, uh, moved up from the Gulf Coast League to low-class A. Charleston this year in the Yankees organization. That's a future manager prospect, just to keep your eyes on. If you're looking at minor league managers who could become big league managers one day, Carlos Mendoza is on that short list. And, and the best way to put this again is, is that if you said, oh, Salt River's playing Scottsdale – you got yeah, you want to find some other game, but you want to with that especially. There's we have, we still need to know who the Yankees are going to send pitching wise, who the Pirates are going to send pitching wise, and who the Giants are going to send pitching wise. There could be some guys who show up on there who, you know, make that a little bit more interesting. But we don't know who those guys are yet. And if you look at the the lineup, we talked about Gift Nageppi, Joe Panic. Yeah, I like Joe Panic. Ronnie Rodriguez. I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, is okay. Um, some of those guys are going to have to play a little bit of second base because you. If you look at the position players, I think Panic, Ronnie Rodriguez, and Negepi are all at least somewhat interesting, and all those guys are, are shortstops. So. Right, right. And then David Adams, is to me, is kind of fascinating. The, the Coming two back years, basically, of uh, ankle problems 
kind of like Grant Hill, basically, level ankle problems. And now he did hit when he came back. I, this I, year. I always think back to that. It's like, okay, you know, that was – David Adams was the reason that the original Montero to Mariners trade right. fell through. And, I mean, the, the Mariners were right. David Adams' ankle was screwed up. It, it wasn't was, a minor deal where it was like, okay, he'll be back next month. He he, missed. he didn't play for two years, basically. I mean, he missed most of two seasons. So, um, But that, that roster – it, to me, that it's it's fascinating the Yank the guys the Yankees are sending there because Austin Romine missed most of if not all this it wasn't all this season but missed most of this season with a, with a back problems. He problem. needs this falling. He needs it. His star has fallen. And the thing is, the Yankees have a yawning need at the big leagues for a young catcher. I mean, Russ Martin has 16 home runs, but he's hitting 200. Uh, Chris Stewart's the backup. Francisco Cervelli will probably be coming to a future World Baseball Classic near you. Probably be playing for Italy in in March 2013. Um, this is just not a organization that has big league catching answers right now, and Austin Romine that that opportunity was there. He didn't seize it. And and if he doesn't, the the bat the thing is is there there are young catchers in that system. But right, J.R. Murphy and Gary Sanchez are behind him, and Murphy finished in Double A, Sanchez finished in High A. So so he's they're gotta, they're on the horizon. This is his time. Right. With, with Montero having been traded to kind of seize that. Finally, J.J., the surprise Sacuados, my favorite uh, nickname. I love the Sacuados. Um, Actually, I kind of like the Peoria Javelinas. Uh, I was going to say, what's, what's interesting is the first couple of teams we talked about here are, to me, easily the, the class. And this is a pretty settled roster we're looking at. This has your personal cheese ball. Oh, it does but. have. It has, yes, yes. I, I am on the Mike O'Neill train, not because I think that he's one of the top 100 prospects in baseball or anything like that, but. You cannot talk to someone who saw Mike O'Neill on a regular basis who doesn't gush about it. I was talking to a hitting coach in the uh, in the Florida State League, and he's like, "You just cannot strike that guy out." I was <laughs> talking to our pitching coach, like, "You got to strike him out. Get him. Come on, we got to strike him out. You know, at least once this game." And it's like, it's just the it's it's almost impossible to do. Which, again, he finished the season second in the minors in batting, second in the minors, I think, in on base, and he struck you, Adam Eaton, and and. And the and the strikeout to walk ratio, I believe it ended up at something around eighty to twenty five, roughly, um, eighty walks, twenty five strikeouts. He's basically the next Jeff Natale. He's Jeff Natale part two. The question is, can he be more athletic? And I mean, and, and I, it seems like he is more athletic. He is more athletic. Red Sox prospect. He is more athletic in that. I don't think he's a guy you want to put out in the center field. You know, one hundred and thirty five, hundred and forty games. I, I think. I think his his likelihood is as a backup outfielder but the fact that he can play center the fact that he's not he's like a 55 runner that kind of guy yeah maybe yeah and they're and they said look you know he's a 50 50 probably let's say more of 50 right now that's what they've that's his to-do list for the offseason can we make you into a 55 we're not even trying we know we're not, you're not gonna get a 65 70 out of you but he needs to get faster basically. but can you get faster because if you can play center field enough to even like where we're comfortable putting you out there, that makes a big difference for his prospect status. If you said he's a left fielder who doesn't hit for a left fielder, even a right fielder, which you don't have the greatest arm in the world, but a corner outfielder who can get on base and doesn't hit for power. Well, these days tougher. you better if you're going to be a backup outfielder, you better play all three positions because right. benches are shorter and bullpens are bigger. That's so. the, that's the thing. If you can't play center, then it's going to you. If you can't play center, you better be able to play. Okay, you're a masher. Who's the kind of the backup uh, at first, third in the corners? Well, this is kind of a fast. This will have to be a prospect showdown that we do in the fall league. Who would you rather have? Which emerging off the grid outfielder would you rather have? Kevin Pillar or Mike O'Neill? Because Mike O'Neill is 
a decent athlete and had a monster year, and his big shtick is he hits for average. Kevin Pillar, on the other hand, is a fourth outfield type. Both these guys, kind of their career, what they hope to achieve, I think, is a Reed Johnson type of career. Is Mike O'Neill right-hand hitter or left-hand hitter? Lefty, if I remember right. I, guess I, should, uh, I should know. That Kevin Pillar is a right-hand hitter. That that maybe makes things a little bit more difficult. But, no, Mike O'Neill's left-left. Yeah. That might give O'Neill an advantage. But Kevin Pillar is a high-average hitter, a little bit better runner, 55 maybe. You know, he, he, he st- it plays more. He stole a lot of bases this year. Um and, and sold them efficiently, 51 bases and 60 tries uh, between low A and high A. But he's a right-handed guy, more like Reed Johnson. Uh, more aggressive hitter. Who would you rather have? That, that, that'd be one I'd love to see some scouts who watch them both in the fall league uh, over a couple of weeks, a period of time, and see which extra outfield type, scrappy extra outfield they prefer. Right. Right now, I'm going to have to go O'Neill, but I'm, I'm taking Pilar. But but here's an interesting. <laughs> but this is, and I think it really does come down to Pilar. It may end up being if he can handle center more regularly. I, I think of there was two guys. You know, I do the Reds list coming up. They were coming up a little different, but there was Chris Heisey and Dave Sapel. Right. And I I've said it for multiple years now, but the the differentiator. I think if you look at the players. If you take their defense out of it, there's not a whole lot of difference. They're different, little different body types and all that, but both very of them very different body types. Very different body types, but one's you know kind of a longer length, you know, normal body type, and and the pelt's just short. I mean, that's just no other way to put it. But the big the big differentiator of the two of them is is that Chris Heisey is a guy who you feel comfortable playing in center. I mean, right now he's the Reds' regular center fielder because Drew Stubbs has been so bad. I mean, he's played I think seven of the last eight games in center. Sapelt was not. Sapelt's a guy who you could put out there in a pinch. Do you not think that the difference really was the bat? Chris Heisey hit better than Dave Sapelt. It. I think though, like, well, this year he ended up. You know, he's. He, I think he has a little better bat. But I think, I think the evaluation was that Chris Heisey has the better bat. I think, but I think the evaluation also was is that you don't want Sapelt as your backup outfitter if you don't feel comfortable in the center, and they don't feel comfortable in the center, so they but, trade but him off. See, I guess what I think argues against that is that. They didn't think they needed another center fielder because they had Drew Stubbs. And no, they you, played Drew Stubbs through a season where he struck out more than 200 no, but, times. But you still want – you. I think you always want one other guy on your roster. You Sure, but Dave Sapel could play it in a pinch. He could play it. That's really all they needed. I, I think that they really wanted Chris Heisey's bat. Right. So to I, me, I that's really also going to play down too. I, do, I think those are secondary concerns that, that matter, whether you can play center field or not. And Pilar, you know, that kind of – the fact that he's a 55 runner – Probably runs a little better than O'Neill. Then there's instincts and reads off the bat and all that. But to me, I think big league teams think that can be taught. To me, they're really going – the big league manager, he wants a bat that he trusts. So really, to me, it's going to be who hits better I, out of I, those two guys. The, the thing I did say when I was talking to someone about O'Neill was is that he came up – that he, he's, he's of the right generation. If he was coming up in the 80s, he would have no shot. He would be less appreciated, right. certainly. Some players who came up I – mean, like. Wade Boggs took a while, right? But he was eventually appreciated. He was a sim- he was he put the, up Mike O'Neill numbers in the big leagues, playing infield every right. day, every year for for a decade. But now there's like this revisionist history that Wade Boggs wasn't appreciated at the time. That's bull. He was like, appreciated when he got to the big leagues, but he was also he, but him and Edgar. Time, him right. and Edgar were two guys. Edgar Martinez was another guy who, right? Because I think they took longer back then than they would take now. I would agree because they weren't as athletic and weren't the way the scouts wanted them to look. But once they got there, they were appreciated. There's this but, kind but, of retrospective. But you know, but, like, but I will say this though: like Gary Reedus, like I, I love going back and reading the baseball abstracts. Like Gary Reedus was not 
the best player in the game or anything like that. Right. That's a different. That, that's different. Yeah. The, the difference there is that Gary just hit 250, so people couldn't get past right. 250. They could. They when start, you hit 320 every year, right. they don't they, give it. They to don't. Him. Yeah. But right. he hit 250. That, that's different. Uh, like when I went to when I was growing up a Red Sox fan, and I went in North Carolina, there weren't a lot of Red Sox paraphernalia. One that you could find were Wade Boggs yeah. and Roger Clemens. Oh, wait, wait. And that's all I'm saying. You could not find Dwight Evans stuff, who was a similar player. He was underappreciated. Wade Boggs was thought of as the star. Right. If you hit for average, you, you, and you didn't have a – yeah. And that's what I'm – I think that these – I think players like that, I think Pilar was more appreciated because he uh, – that, that kind of player, because he was so aggressive and hit for high average. Whereas O'Neal, because of the walks, those subtleties were definitely not as appreciated 25 years, 30 years ago. But if you hit if you hit – They'll find a spot for you is where I'm headed. Uh, JJ, we, 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 are we, have we burned up all our time, or should we – I uh, do want to – I'd love to talk a little bit about the American League East if we still have a little yeah, bit Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll go to some questions. Because – oh, yeah, we need, well, we, let's go to the questions first, actually. The American League East, everyone's talking about You can get that anywhere. We're supposed to be your baseball news. You can't get anywhere else. Uh, uh, go, hit us up on some Twitter questions, I'll start questions, us off JJ. here. Uh, uh, Jay Coletta, 84, Jason Coletta, I believe. Uh, Darren Ruff, prediction scouting report. Jason Ruff, I mean, Darren Ruff, first off, first off uh, to me, Darren Ruff, I mean, we didn't even make him a first-team minor league all-star this year because it was just too hard. Um, when we did our first-team all-minor league team, we had four guys for three spots. We had Jonathan Singleton, who had a, basically a 900 OPS in the Texas League as a 20-year-old, 20-21. Uh, we had Darren Ruff, who had a very good year through July, and then just went berserk in August and hit 20 home runs in August. Yeah. It, I mean, like, the rest of his year put him in contention anyway for just be for, like, second team. Like, he had a good right. year, one of the better years of any minor league first baseman. Then he went berserk in August and hit 20 home runs. But he is 26, and he was doing it in Reading, which is a hitter's park, and in the Eastern League, which is usually a tough park, tough league for hitters, but this year just there was no pitching in the Eastern League. And then you had Jerickson Profar, uh, best prospect in the minor leagues uh, by the end of the year, who had a great year for any age in the Texas League. Then you factor in, oh, by the way, he was 19. And then you had Billy Hamilton, who probably was the most talked-about player in the minor leagues this year, who set an all-time record in a, in a category that, yes, is again, 30 years ago would have been a bigger deal in, in terms of the statistical analysis and less of a deal in terms of the media glare. But 157 stolen bases and 157 stolen bases. What we wound up doing was Singleton at first, uh, Profar at short, Hamilton at DH, because we felt Billy Hamilton needed to be on the first team more than Darren Ruff. And basically Darren Ruff being 26 counted against and, him. But when you're looking at going in the future, I hate to say this for Darren Ruff because it was. It was an amazing year. Still not finding a whole lot of guys who are all on board the Darren Ruff train. And part of that is is that they want to see it again. That's it. Because if you take – he's been a very solid hitter before this. This was not like a guy who came out of nowhere and had a great month that otherwise was, was mediocre. Yeah, I mean, he was he, a guy in college, good good college player. He had a very good year in the FSL last year. That being said, he has had one month. If you took that month out of it, he would still be the same guy that everyone's seen all this time, which is right, right – Kind of a little stiff, first baseman. Those guys have to usually, you have to basically, if you're not going to hit 45 homers or, you know, or hit 300 with 30, you're going you're gonna to have to prove at every level, especially if you're a little older, because it's just there aren't many spots for those guys, and there aren't many of those guys who are able to make it in the big leagues. But, yes, he did. You don't take away. He had a month. He hit 20 homers. 
That's amazing. It is amazing. Guys want to see him do that again. Not do 20 homers again, but guys want to see. I'll put it this way. If they offered Darren Ruff to teams right now, they're going to be like, yeah. If he did it again in April and May next year, teams might be interested. To me, Darren Ruff is a guy who is a good minor league hitter who does not have premium bat speed. He has good strength. He can be beat by premium fastballs. There was a lack, lack of, of premium us. fastballs in the Eastern League this year. And he's a guy who in August got in a rhythm. He is a good hitter. He does have some feel for the barrel and just got red hot. But uh, to get to the scouting report part of it, I don't think that there's any tool that you would put a plus on with the exception of the power maybe. But this is not a guy with like 80 raw power. This is a guy with like 60 power who is really probably like a 40 hitter in the big leagues and maybe a 30 hitter, J.J., because he just does not – he really – when you do it at his age and with all the other circumstances, you have to cast some doubt on him. But that said, he did it, and that month in August is as good a month as anyone's had in the minor leagues since like a Joe Bauman. The, the best the best way I can put it is is that this is not Paul Goldschmidt who last a year ago with Paul Goldschmidt during the season was like what do we have of Paul Goldschmidt here? that is the question is he Paul Goldschmidt or is he Ryan Streeby and the reality is is that there's more Streeby there I think because when you talked to scouts last year about Goldschmidt and guys would say I this guy is one of the tougher guys in the minors to rank I mean it really is hard to figure out you know are you all sold and I didn't hear a whole lot of guys who were completely all in on Paul Goldschmidt, but the guys who would kind of waver would say, but I can see how it could happen. You see some – I mean, the guy who kept saying is like, clearly he's modeled himself after Pujols. Right. And you can see, like, he's not Pujols, but you see it works for him. And he's got – and if you were doing this at this time last year with Goldschmidt or halfway through the season with Goldschmidt, you'd say, okay, the power is a – I mean, it's clear big league plus power. Right, you know, and then you'd say, I think he also is going to hit for some average. That to me is the difference with Ruff. He does not have, he just we just don't have scouting reports ever of him having this kind of power, this kind of big time grade tool. And Goldschmidt had already Goldschmidt had carried right. that everywhere he'd gone. He'd had that in high school. He, you know, he'd had that in college. Uh, he'd done that when he had led the. You know, he he led every league he basically went to in homers. Yeah, so it's a it's an open stance. An uppercut swing. It is there's raw power in there, but it's just hard to see that Darren Ruff necessarily is going to be able to continue this. But I'm fascinated by him if a guy can make that transformation. So obviously, great question. To me, Darren Ruff is one of the guys that if he continues it, we're going to look bad five years from now. And you go back and look at an almanac and say, how did this guy, mm-hmm. both the minors and home runs, well, did not make our all minor league uh, all star team? I'll put so it this we'll way: see. he wasn't in the top thirty last year for the Phillies. I don't think, if I remember correctly. No, he wasn't. And he never he has will, been. and he will be this year. I'm not even sure that he will be. I really I, am not. I, I mean, he's going he's to be 30 in that list. He'll uh, be at least 30. I, I may uh, be wrong. I, I we'll see. Uh, I'll be I'll be fascinated. Matt Foreman doing uh, our is basically becoming our Mid Atlantic correspondent. Uh, he's got the Orioles and Phillies top 30s this year, and those are going to be pretty fascinating uh, top 30s to do. Charlie Widows asked uh, JJ on Twitter. Uh, what's left of the Dodgers farm system? And the answer is not a, not a, not Jock a, Peterson, not a we just thing. talked about him. He's, <laughs> yeah. Yaswell Puig, we talked about him. Chris Reed, we talked about him. And Zach Lee, we did not talk about. That's, um, that's what's left of the Dodgers farm system. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, they, it's, it lacks depth for a good reason because they traded a lot of guys to, to try they to get a big They traded from a level. thin system already because <laughs> it, 
if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Dodgers front office, it would be fair to have like an insulin shock now because you have gone, you've been essentially starved of of money for a long period of time everywhere. It wasn't just, I mean, they did not operate as a big market team on the free agent market, really. They sure didn't operate like a big market team in player development. They were one of the absolutely not. Yeah, they, they were, they were one of the stingiest teams out there. Well, and I think I think it has to be said that they did a good job despite that. Right. Acquiring guy right. like Alan. The, Webster, the reality is, is Ruby when you, Rose, when you put together traded. the awful owner Hall of Fame, yeah. Frank McCourt will be greeting you he's at the, the door. He's on the Mount Rushmore of awful owners, at least in the modern. If you're talking about the last thirty years, because. I don't want to throw in like you know guys who kept African Americans right. in the game for half but a century. Yeah. He's not at that level, but right. and you talk about like just how to not run a franchise last 30, 40 years. He's on the Mount Rushmore of bad owners. I mean, there's some other sports. ones, but I mean, you're talking about all sports. Donald Sterling starts and ends at the Los Angeles Clippers owner. Because he, he, he's got the track record that Frank McCourt had a much smaller that's period. That's it, of time. and also he treated employees like crap. I mean, right. like, to me, he, but, reti- he he's number one. But if you look at it in baseball, the reason to me that he ranks as the worst, well, for one, it was they would never uh, they would never admit what they were because you couldn't right. admit it. Basically, what you had was essentially a dude who didn't have the funds to really run the Dodgers as the Dodgers need to be run. He was essentially using it, large, you know, in some ways as a bank. And also a uh, a in way every to way is a you know like that's the problem uh, you know a way to employ all his family and all so you had that and then you had on top of it that basically he was crippling I, the the Dodgers this move that they made with the Red Sox may end up you know it's not looking great right now yeah what are they six and twelve is the trade I think right. And they're not scoring any runs. Which lucky for them, the the Cardinals and the Pirates have also been horrible at the same time. The National League wild card is kind of fascinating right now with but, the Brewers and Phillies back in it. But but the thing about it is is that I think they felt in some ways that they had to do something like that, partly because free agent market is not going to be that great this offseason. And they looked around and realized that when they moved in, wow, we didn't realize how bad they left this place. They may have realized how bad it was, and they realized that they, because they knew how bad it was, they had to do something drastic. Because and I, I, don't, I don't blame them for the deal they and made. And the reality is, is with the money they're going to spend, their farm system is pretty thin right now. You know what? They're not looking to get a whole lot of help from the farm system in the near future. Right. They're looking, oh, okay, well, we need another pitcher. We'll go find. This is a, this is a transaction in terms of the ownership that came a little bit too late with the new bonus limitations in the draft. Oh, this and as they're coming two years earlier? Because if it happened a couple of years ago, the Dodgers would have gone loco in the draft. And you know what? I, I, if I were the owner of the Dodgers at that time, I would have said, let's give Logan White whatever he says he needs. It's an open-ended budget. Draft who you want and sign him for what you think it takes to sign them. Because If they'd uh, have done that. It doesn't mean that Logan White hasn't made mistakes or his scouting department hasn't, but, but uh, there's a two-year lull in there where Logan was promoted to assistant GM and wasn't as involved with the draft. They didn't draft as well, but uh, his track record is up there with any sky directors in the game. And the other thing is, is you just look at it, the Dodgers' success stories in recent years have almost always been, wow, look how cheap they got that guy. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Now that's it. So <laughs> Ruby De La Rosa, who they just uh, traded in this, you know, blockbuster deal, is one of the wow. That's one of the better, you know, low money signs of of recent years. But like Stephen Ames, you know, you're looking for like there, there's still some low-leverage arms in there, and Paco Rodriguez will be high in their top ten, and Yasiel Puig will be high in their top ten, and Zach Lee's probably their number one if it's not Puig. Uh, 
but it's it's just not a deep farm system. So, uh, but there are good reasons for that, and I would not really lay the blame at the feet of their scouts or or their scouting department. I would I think the blame for that goes straight to the McCourts. Uh, finally, JJ Joe Lacates asks if if guys do much pennant talk. I'd love to hear armchair GM opinions on what you would have done with Dylan Bundy. We've talked a lot about Steven Strasburg, JJ. Uh, I liked. I think we both like Rainey's piece. I'm not going to pronounce, pronounce Rainey's last name, Just but over at uh, over at Grantland, thought he had made a lot of good points about Steven Strasburg and the way the Nationals handle it. That's that's we've chewed that over on the podcast. What about the Orioles and Dylan Bundy? Would you call Dylan Bundy up to the big leagues if you were Baltimore, especially now that Jason Hamill's hurt again? That's. I I'll put it this way. I have no problem with him not. I I think that you run some. I think you run more dangers there. Then you were running with Strasburg if you had played, you know, if you had skipped him a turn or, you know. and not because you're going to get him hurt necessarily, but just from the standpoint of, it's Dylan Bundy has never had a season with the length. I know that they were very cautious with him early and all. It still is the fact that he showed up in March, and he's been doing this from March through it's now it's into September. Right, and still pitching in Double A for Bowie. Right. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but if they don't and they say, you know what, we don't think a high school guy in his first full year that we should put him in a situation where I don't care how much you tell him, go out, throw easy. If he's coming into a pressure situation in a game, you you wouldn't be human if you're you know if you're a a guy again your first year of pro ball you didn't overthrow a little bit. To me, I, I think it is different, but the fact that you're still letting him pitch in Double A in the playoffs. Means that they certainly entertain. Oh, I'm sure I'm, they're the still thought. thinking about it, and I think they are still thinking about it. And for me, he's already on the 40-man roster. I'd do it. I think that you have a a franchise with 15 years of losing in the last 15 years, a fan base that's clearly responding to renewed optimism, and you have a pitching staff that does not have obvious answers, and that's already basically just saying, "Just give us five innings, guys," because you do have a good bullpen. So in my opinion, they got, they got, when you have Tommy six Hunter or seven, them. that's right. When you're already using essentially a six, seven, eight-man rotation, I think you can pick your spots with Dylan Bundy. They have this long road trip. I would fly Dylan Bundy in on this nine-game West Coast road trip, pick my spot in there, maybe pitch him in Seattle where obviously the team is playing well, but it's a forgiving ballpark, and and let him go one start. just And, and you maybe start him – in an a, 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 a unusual amount of rest where you give him a lot of rest in between starts and he's a five, six inning guy. For me. If you start him, he's going to. If you start him, then your temptation is going to be. And I don't. Again, I'm not even. I, I, don't I would do it. But I was going to say, if you start him, he might be pitching the playoffs for him. That's, and that's it, JJ. That's the reason why I think they're not doing it. I is think that the your, thing is, if you danger. start him in September he's and he pitches well, the danger is you're going to want to pitch him in October. And that I think that is a legitimate reason not to use him. Because but to me, you control well, that. Here's, here's their crazy thing. If you do, if you bring him up, do you say, sorry, Dylan, you still can't throw your cutter? Yeah, I think you do this year, honestly. I think you do. Because if that's the plan they've been doing this year, uh, the thing is, if you're Dylan Bundy, <laughs> you shake. You shake. And you shake again until Matt Weider says, he just puts down one middle finger and says, all right, this is on you, not me. You call Weeders out and you go, okay, you're going to call for a fastball here, but if it cuts a little bit, don't be too surprised. Yeah, so to me, you do call him up and because you've got to get to the postseason. 
And if you want to shut him down for October, that's reasonable. And if the Nationals are going to have Steven Strasburg as a healthy scratch in the postseason, oh, yeah. I, it certainly I think, looks like I think it's, you'll be forgiven for having Dylan Bundy as a healthy I, oh, scratch. Oh, I think it's completely – if you bring him up and he is your best pitcher right away, which – he could, he could be. be. He could be with Hamill Hurt. Still, I still think it's defensible to say, look, we we let's make it clear. If right. we make the playoffs, he's not on that roster just because. But the Orioles are playing with house money. No, so <laughs> they're, you, you knew me. last night. You knew yesterday. We're recording this on Friday. I was just wondering which inning it was going to happen. Yeah, I was almost hoping that they would hit a two-run walk-off home run so they didn't have another one-run win. Instead, they did, so they're 27-7 and seven in one-run games. They haven't lost a one-run game win. since April, right? No, it's an extra inning game. Extra they, inning. they haven't lost an extra inning game since April. The funny thing is the, the extra inning wins, I guess it makes sense that the teams that have won the most extra inning games of the year would actually be good teams because you think of them as teams – if you win a lot of games, you're a good team, and you it was actually the 1949 Indians, so coming off their last World Series championship, so the 49 Indians were a good team. Not as good as the 48 Indians, but a good yeah. team. I should say not as successful as a team as the 48 Indians. And the 95 Indians, which is funny that they only played a 144-game season that year. I think this, this 2012 O's team has tied the 95 Indians in terms of uh, extra inning wins, but there's a lot of mounting evidence that the Orioles actually are a good team despite their run differential. I don't think they're a juggernaut. I do think they're a lucky team. I think they've had a lot oh, of breaks, but, but they've also had a lot of breaks go against said, them they've surmounted And anyway. as we said, really what it comes down to is you pull it all together. Luck, good bullpen, you know. Good managing. Again, they no one hoist a crown says, best run differential in the league. You right. win games, you're successful. Right. And you're good. You can say because we're not trying to, but we're not trying, but we're not trying to right now predict what's going to happen next year. At this point in the season, there have been studies that show throw out the run, the run differential. At this point, when you've reached this point in the season, there's just as much reason to think that their run differential will continue to be this good as it is. I mean, their ability to exceed the run differential will continue to go like this as there is to think that they're going to come crashing down in the final now three weeks of the season. If they go into next year with the same roster and expect the same results, oh, then that crazy. would be foolhardy. Yeah. But that, but for this year, it would be foolhardy for them to say to themselves, you know, we're really not this good. We shouldn't play so hard. It's it's a lot of fun to watch Orioles games. I mean, having direct TV, we both can actually watch it. For those who don't know, North Carolina, uh, they Time Warner and Masson is like this. Whoa, they're blacked out on yeah. MLB TV, which is ridiculous. So but that's a whole other subject. Thanks a lot, though, for the questions. Great questions today. Uh, definitely, we we went on a little bit on the on the World Baseball Classic. I'm sure we will on the next uh, podcast as well. Um, but yeah, September 19th, I believe, is the, when the one in Germany starts, and September 20th in Jupiter, one or the other. I may have those dates flipped. But those are double elimination tournaments, um, which I think is kind of fascinating until you get to the championship game. So if one team gets there undefeated, JJ, and the other team has one loss, they could still the last game is still winner take all. I, I do wish the fall. The, league, the funny thing is, is that there that is actually that's the TV rule. It is a TV rule, basically. Which is... It's also an international baseball rule. But international but baseball it, loves tournament play. But it is funny, though, that... that, that Because really, the logical way you do that is, is you say, okay, if you if one team's undefeated right, and one team again. has a loss, then, okay, well, you come in with the advantage. But the the largest argument against that is, is but you can't then bill that this is the championship game. This right. is the... Kind of championship game. I mean, we saw that with the this College might World be the Series. Championship game, but saw that with the col- that used to be the College World Series, and that was 
the complaint. Right. With when, the college CBS, when CBS took over the TV contract in 1989, they, uh, 88, they told the NCAA, if we're going to broadcast your championship game, we have to know which game is the championship game. And that's how you had the format with two four-team brackets, and then the winners, which were double elimination, but the winners just played the one game. So uh, that My, for my alma mater won a national championship because of that change, I would really Might be the only reason they won a national right. championship. Right. I mean, I, 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 I think, but if you, if you said that was a three, you know, that was a even a double, you know, I, I don't think that. Yeah, you're, usually your best of three is a little bit more telling than your best of one. But uh, not always. I don't think that's – I think that sometimes well, that's, it's best. But that's what's also fascinating with this wild card going on is, is that, to me, the biggest hindrance of this wild card, like, and this is a good thing, the biggest drawback of being a wild card team is, is that you basically are in a one game. Right. It's not even that your pitching is not going to be set up for the next series. It's that – you're talking about a one-game playoff? Yeah, absolutely. You're just basically talking – you're not talking a coin toss, but you're coming pretty close to that. Now, was this, by the way, this is like a, the end of a Backyardigans episode. Was that your stomach I just That heard? was my stomach. I'm hungry. <laughs> so JJ's hungry. So like the end of the Backyardigans episode, a uh, little reference for p- fa- parents who yes, have little kids. Yes, we both have kids. small children. That means it's time to go. So we'll talk. Uh, we'll get thanks for all the questions. We'll talk uh, again next week on the Baseball America podcast. For JJ, I'm John. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.